This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And you can give us a call as well as eight, at 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. And today is, I just had it in front of me, it's one of those amazing national days. It's National Croissant Day. I know you were waiting for that all day to hear that. And believe it or not, last Monday was National Bubble Wrap Day. But in more serious news, there was uh, some new developments in that case coming out of Memphis. We're going to talk about that in a moment. Uh, There's also some breaking news from just earlier today. Biden will not send F-16 jets to Ukraine. Uh, This was a simple word, one word answer. When President Biden was asked if he would send F-16 fighter jets to Ukraine, he simply replied, no. (laughs) Uh, Senior White House reporter for Bloomberg, Jennifer Jacobs, reported that earlier today. And uh, there was a big push to send Ukraine some jets after they made the decision to send 31 M1 Abrams tanks. Now, this was part of the discussion we had last week where we discussed on uh, what type of impact 31 Abrams tanks would make. And if you missed any part of that discussion uh, that we had with Lieutenant Colonel Tony Schaefer, um, give it a check it out. And you can give it a check it out where you can check it out online at the podcast for America at Night. Uh, Make sure you're subscribed to that. But one of the advisors to the uh, Ukraine defense minister told Reuters that the country is actively trying to get the jets, calling it their next big hurdle. Now, Pentagon Press Secretary Sabrina Singh, um, she says that they would not rule out sending the jets uh, at a press conference that they had earlier this week, but Biden says no. So I guess they're going to try and figure out some sort of workaround on how to get that done. We shall see how that plays out. Now, there's also some developments coming out of New York where Mayor Eric Adams says that this um, brutal beating that led to the the death and and, uh, arrest charges on the charge of murder of uh, five police officers in Memphis, he says that this is due to racism. Yet there's been a revelation about a sixth officer today, but we'll get to that in a moment. Listen to Mayor Eric Adams from the city of New York. Okay, well, let me ask you, the Chief C.J. Davis, when in my interview with her, she said that all the officers being black, it takes race off the table. Do you agree with that? Uh, no, no, I don't. Uh, I think that I understand what 
uh, the chief was saying, and I think she uh, really handled this situation in a very professional way. She moved swiftly. She ensured that those officers were removed from the department. She took all the necessary steps. Uh, but I think uh, race is still on the table. Uh, when a culture of policing historically has treated uh, those from different groups differently, uh, even when the individuals are from that same group, that culture can still exist. And we have to zero in on it, being honest about it, and making sure that we properly train police for the realities of the cities that they are policing in. So, first of all, I want to say, Mayor Adams, Mayor Adams uh, is clearly, he's not a police chief, he's a police captain uh, who um, isn't doing a great job, does not have a great record on crime. And he's uh, trying to be nice and, you know, play both sides here. And look, I get it, he's a politician. Uh, But first of all, uh, Chief Davis is a woman. And I can identify her as a woman. She looks like a woman to me. I think she even identifies as a woman herself. But good old Eric Adams says, uh, no, she's wrong when she says race is not part of the issue here. I don't know. Could have fooled me. Uh, I would think she's she's um, the police chief in Memphis. She happens to be black. The officers happen to be black. And the victim happened to be black. Now, look, you've heard this over and over and over. And the argue, the counter argument that he's making is that policing has been historically racist. Okay. Now, if we... If we play this game and we say, well, well, how do you fix historically racist police? Well, there you go. You have your defund the police and abolish ICE movement where they say, well, maybe we shouldn't have any type of constabulary at all. Maybe what we need to do is just get rid of policing altogether because it has its roots in racism. When I was a kid, probably sixth grade or so, one of my uh, uh, favorite rappers at the time, KRS-One, he had a, a pretty cool song called Whoop. It's the sound of the police. And in the song, he talks about a lot of political positions. He's a very um, politically conscious uh, rap artist. And I don't agree with any of his positions. I didn't really agree with them then. I don't agree with them now, probably because I had brothers in law enforcement. But needless to say, his position was that the word officer comes from overseer and that policing is a mere extension of the oppression of slavery and just different, you know, different uh time and different place. Now, instead of a plantation, now it's a prison cell, but it's still to keep uh, black people somewhat subjugated. Now, I won't doubt for for one second that there's got to be at least one person that believes that, that it became a cop because they said, you know what, I'm going to do my part to be the most racist person on the planet. I'll give their argument one person. And again, maybe there's more, Uh, but I think by and large, you know, if we're looking at a hundred people, I'm thinking 99 of these people are joining the police force to do the right thing. And if there's, you know, one that that goes astray, fine. Uh, Listen, I understand. I'm not saying it's okay. I'm not saying it's fine, even though I said fine. I I think these are the facts of life. These are things we deal with where we're not always going to win. This is just how life is. There will always be evil and we can't eradicate evil. We got to try and manage this tension. But anyway, that's Eric Adams' take. And I have to say, I disagree with that. And it's, it's that poor take on constantly victimizing ourselves or situations or entire systems and saying that they're systemically racist or this, that, and the other that create these impossible to solve problems. And that's what they're for. Um, one of our guests talked about recently talked about a grievance industry. And, and this is how you feed a grievance industry by constantly creating unsolvable problems that can only result in the total destruction of our system, right? Get rid of police, then we'll be okay. Come on. That's totally um, ridiculous. So we're going to get into that a little bit later with a former Detroit police chief uh, as well. But I want to talk about 
what's going on in Congress, because the House uh, Judiciary Committee uh, is holding hearings on the border crisis, and they are set to feature law enforcement, especially um, those stories that uh, that are going to be shared with respect to fentanyl overdoses and whatnot. So I want to dig into that with a former law enforcer himself, uh, Mark Morgan. He was uh, the chief of the Border Patrol during the Obama administration, and then um, he was brought back by President Trump because he knew what was going on, and he's the man uh, with the plan at the time. Um, since the end of the of the Trump administration, he's been working at various think tanks, and I think he's with Heritage right now, and he's going to be joining us in a little bit. So I'm looking forward to my conversation with him and to see exactly what's going on with the border. Because, I mean, it seems like there's new things coming out every day. The latest is this uh, uh, proposal on asylum reform, and you've also got this parole idea that they're throwing around. Uh, that I don't think helps us out either. So there's a lot more to come straight ahead. I don't want you to go anywhere. Don't move a muscle. Again, if you want to join the conversation, it's 833, the number four, my last name, Valdez, 833-482-5337. And don't move a muscle because we're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. I want to listen to you, Rich, all the time. America at Night with Rich Valdez. Donald Trump spearheaded a campaign to implement inhumane and immoral immigration policies, which Republicans supported and which has dramatically damaged our immigration system. This campaign of xenophobia, racism, and terror coupled with Republican obstruction of all Democratic efforts to modernize our immigration system, have left us facing unprecedented challenges at the southern border. Title 42, the public health law that President Trump cynically used and exploited as an anti-immigrant weapon of mass expulsion, is exacerbating these challenges. There never was and certainly no longer is any justification for the use of Title 42, at our southern border. All right, that's Senator Ed Markey from uh, Baston. And uh, he's um, making this speech on Thursday about Title 42. But in addition to Title 42 at the border, uh, we've also got new issues about this parole situation. And we've got to get to the bottom of this because things are getting worse by the minute. I want to check out uh, what Mark Morgan has to say. He's the visiting fellow at the Heritage Foundation, and you guys see him on Newsmax. Mark Morgan, welcome to the program. Rich, thanks for having me this evening. Yes, sir. Now, I, I, um, I'm i really curious to get into this stuff because uh, I'm glad you're here. Uh, few in the country besides you and Tom Homan and, uh, and a handful of others really, I think, have a, a handle on, on you know, how this once worked well <laughs> and, uh, and how to yeah. get back to that. So let, let's talk a little bit about it um, with respect to this, this new proposal that's been out there regarding parole. Yeah, so if you don't mind, can I first start by commenting on, on what that, that congressional member said that you played? Oh, of course, absolutely. I, 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 want to make sure, I want to make sure listeners know, unequivocally, every word, I've listened to him, uh, that, that, his comments a, a few times, every word that he said was just simply a blatant lie. There was absolutely no factual basis to anything that he said. Let, let me just talk real quick about just one of the elements, Title 42. Take your time. 
and there's some irony here because Title 42 is not, never has been, nor will it ever be an immigration tool. It's a public health tool. And remember, March 20 of 2020, when that it was implemented, I was there as a commissioner. That was we were in the height of a global pandemic. That was used. Think about this. We, we had illegal aliens from, from over 150 different countries that were trying to illegally enter our country from countries that, that had no you know, physical means to actually uh, have a vaccine. There was no testing capability from the majority of these countries where the illegal aliens were coming. Mm-hmm. And while we were struggling in this country, did it make sense? To, to further reduce the spread and introduction of COVID-19 from outside our countries to say, hey, no, look, if you're illegally entering from one of 160 different countries, we're not just going to let you in anymore. The risk is too great. That's why we did it. We applied it across the board. In my opinion, again, I was there on the front line. It saved untold countless American lives. Full stop. So, 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 so this congressional, he's just a liar. Second of all, the irony is if any administration has begun to utilize Title 42 as an immigration tool. It's the Biden administration. And here's how I can say that. For, from, from day one, look, you either have a pandemic and either you, you have the need to, to implement a public health tool or, or not. They did a carve-out for unaccompanied minors. They stopped playing Title 42 to unaccompanied minors on day one. They stopped applying uh, Title 42 to about 85% of families coming in. And now – they're, they're applying Title 42 then, then about to about a third of those coming in. Think about that. So, so mm-hmm. 70% now, those illegally entering, they're being released in the United States, whether, whether they've been tested, whether they've been vaccinated or not. So, so the, the administration that's using Title 42 of an immigration tool is actually this administration. So it's just – the, the last thing I'll say is – you know, uh, people ask me all the time, hey, Mark, you, you're on the front lines with a whole bunch of other people that really enacted a, a network of tools, authorities, and policies that led to the most secure border in our lifetime. And, and it, must be, it must be frustrating to see everything you guys accomplished be undone intentionally, and now we have the, the, the least secure border in our lifetime. And I say, yeah, hands down. But, Rich, here's the other thing. What gets mm-hmm. me equally is fired up, and that's why I'm so fired up now you played that, is that – they're, they're lying to the American people. It's not enough right. that they've unsecured our borders, jeopardizing every aspect of our national security, and public health and, and safety, but they're lying to the American people about it. Mark Morgan, this seems to be their M.O. each and every single time is to kind of uh, mislead and misconstrue just about everything to try to get their way. And, and again, I think it's everybody's guess, you know, whether it's trying to bring in new voters, whether it's just trying to change the, this or trying to change that or just, you know, uh, some sort of deal that was made to uh, accept X amount of people and coming up with a, um, an administrative workaround to increase the immigration numbers without actually, you know, on paper increasing the I don't know the reasoning for it, but it seems that they don't want it to stop. And now you've got some in the Republican Party in Congress that are saying, look, let's do it this way. And then others saying no. And you've got Republicans now that uh, won't bring the immigration bill to the floor after certain members raise concerns. And um, there's a lot going on here. Break it down for us. Yeah, Rich, first of all, I, I love coming on with you because you're well-informed. You're up to date on the issues. Look, I, I call balls and strikes. I, I, I've served this country for 40 years. I've served under six administrations, both Republican and Democrat. And although the border security issue has become a right-or-left thing, it's not for me. It's still a red, white, and blue thing. And so when, when, when I call balls and strikes, let's keep in mind, the first two years on the Trump administration, the Republicans had the White House, the House, and the Senate. And they, the Republicans – 
failed to pass a single meaningful piece of border security legislation that would have prevented about 85% of the disaster happening right now. That's number one. And number two, you're spot on. I was, I was skeptical, but hopeful. The Republicans have the House. Eight months ago, about six conservative think tanks got together and, and provided a coalition letter that laid out the roadmap. It's straightforward and easy. Here's the things that need to do uh, for your first you know, House bill that will secure the border. And, and we have H.R. 29. So, so Chip Roy has put as a proposal H.R. 29. Now, look, in my opinion, it doesn't go far enough. It's actually a watered-down border security bill, but it's the best thing out there right now. And the bill is straightforward. It, it enforces uh, – and ensures that this White House and DHS enforces the laws on the books, applies consequences to those who violate it, and it puts integrity back in the system by reducing the, the exploitation of the, the broken immigration system by one example, ending catch and release. That's what it does. And now we have three Republicans, Gonzalez, Bacon, and Salazar, that now are actively trying to stop the bill, as you said, from going to the floor. They're trying to push it back into committee. Once it goes there, it'll probably die. It's so frustrating. So Republicans now are part of the problem. We can't just blame Democrats now. They have a chance to pass some form of border security bill to stop the bleeding that's happening on our border. And now we have those three Republicans that are actively uh, uh, trying to prevent the bill from seeing the floor to get a vote. And, and one of them, Gonzalez, I mean, he, here, here's the thing real quick. Remember when, when, when uh, then uh, before he became speaker, McCarthy touted the commitment to America, right? Mm-hmm. Well, 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 part of that commitment to the America, Rich, had in there border security. It specifically says in that little, little three-by-five card that he pulls out, ending catch and release as part of their commitment to America with respect to border security. All three of those Republicans, Gonzalez, Bacon, Salazar, they all supported the commitment to America prior to the election. They are all all like a 100% go strong border security prior to the election. Now, after the election, here's where we're at. It's unconscionable. Yeah, and this one is going to be uh, interesting because we're going to have to see how Scalise and um... – and McCarthy handless and whipping these votes because they, they they've got to get somewhere right and, and some of them are predictable I think others like I didn't see uh, Salazar uh, from Florida I didn't see that one happening um, but so maybe there's some some wiggle room to to play with this but I think this is a, a pretty big deal because this has been historically one of the major problems facing us at the border yep. was this catch and release uh, you know and releasing into the interior of the United States let me remind everybody that we're on with Mark Morgan he was uh, border patrol chief under Obama and came back under Trump he's a visiting fellow now at the Heritage Foundation and a contributor to Newsmax TV and um, you'd be hard-pressed to find anybody who knows about, about as much as what's going on than Mark Morgan but this this deal right here or uh, this this um, I guess this stalemate that we're coming into in Congress uh, and we can we're about to hit a break, but we can continue on the other side. It, to me, sure. this is just one of many that we're going to see when there's discussions related to what's going on. But all I could tell you is the word on the street. Right. And I go to get my coffee from a Cuban guy who's got a restaurant, in New Jersey. This guy's a citizen now. He's been here for about 19 years and he came from Havana, Cuba to Key West on a jet ski. It was like a five or six hour ride. And he's the first one to tell me. He's like, we got to stop this immigration that's coming in from Cuba. I said, why? And he said, they're not bringing any of their desirables. So let's continue this conversation on the other side of the break. I am Rich Valdez. We're on with Mark Morgan. And the phone number, 833, the number four, Valdez. If you want to join the conversation, don't go anywhere. We're coming right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. 
Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. Valdez. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez. We're on with Mark Morgan, visiting fellow with the Heritage Foundation. You uh, see him regularly as a contributor to Newsmax, former Border Patrol chief. And uh, Mark Morgan, we were just putting a pin in this uh, discussion. I just wanted you to um, in as best uh, manner as you can, just give me some conjecture here on how do you think this bill, uh, do you think it dies? Do you think it gets through? What's your take? So that's a good question. To be honest with you right now, I, I don't know. Um, again, what, what I'm holding on to is just that hope that, as you said, that they're going to be able to whip it and, and get, some, uh, get, get some of these naysayers um, where they need to be. But the, the, the reality is it more than likely won't get through the Senate. But that's okay because what the American people need to see is they need to see how our congressional members are going to vote on securing our borders. That's mm-hmm. important that the American people see where, where both Democrats and Republicans stand on what is a very, very much a common sense, straightforward bill to enable us to reduce illegal immigration and increase our ability to secure our border. It's common sense. It's straightforward. The American people need to see where we stand. So the fact that they – if, if they don't do this, if they don't put it to the vote uh, on the floor, I'm going to hold uh, a, a Speaker McCarthy responsible for, for that failure. Yeah, well, at that point, you have to, uh, because, you know, yep. the, the whole point of, of, again, being Speaker and having a good whip in place and a minority whip or a deputy whip is to, to be able to twist those arms and, and get what we need done and cut the deals that have to be cut. It's politics. And yep. if we can't yeah, get right, politics 20- on something this big, right, what are we going to do? That's right, Rich. And, and sorry, I didn't mean to rough apologize, but that's no, why, you know, part of this, part of this, it, right, it's, it's, it's dual things that are happening simultaneously. You know, in the best case scenario, we hope that actually meaningful legislation gets passed to be able to secure our border and protect American people. But at worst is that at least then we're setting things up for 2024 so that when people go to vote, they understand clearly who was strong and supportive of border security and who wasn't, who was just all talk before the election. The only, one of the only ways you really can do that is put the bill on the floor and see who votes for it. Yeah, hold them to the, uh, hold their feet to the fire. I agree with that 100%. Yep. And, and you're right. And when, when it's out there and there's a vote and you could call people out, you could you can there's leverage. So th- that's key. Yep. Now, uh, you guys have a great piece on Heritage.org. Uh, it discusses uh, under Biden and Mayorkas, 250,000 plus border encounters 
was business as usual. Tell us more about it. Look, what, what, what we've seen right now, the, the numbers are, are astronomical. In the first 24 months, we've seen over 6 million encounters at the border. Uh, and that includes about 1.2 million gotaways, which at the start of the break, you talked about the, the, the Cuban uh, associate of yours that talked about you know, yeah. uh, less than desirable. I'd really like to talk about the gotaways. But what we're seeing now is, and, and when you talk about the 250,000, that was in December, but that was just the southwest border. That's it. When you take nationwide encounters, is over 300,000. And this is going to be very, very important because right now with, with what I call a shell game, it's a perversion and violation of the law, their so-called strategy right now, they're simply shifting the burden. They're shifting those from illegally entering in between the ports of entry to now they're just moving them to the ports of entry, and they're allowing them to, to make an appointment to, to file what we know the majority of the time is a fraudulent claim and then release them, or they're actually circumventing the entire parole system in violation of law uh, and, and just paroling them in. And so when the numbers come out in January, it's going to be very important that we look at not just the apprehensions in between the ports of entry, but also through that CDP-1 app, how many that they've released through a point of entry, through claiming asylum, and how many they've paroled in. Rich, mark my words, the number of those total encounters are going to be equal, if not higher, than what we've been seeing for the past 23 months. But they're going to mislead and lie to the American people, and they're already claiming victory simply because the numbers in between the ports of entry have gone down. And one last thing. I know I'm going along on this, but, but it's important because what You're they've fine. done is they've, they, they, they've asked migrants, hey, in exchange for not illegally entering the border and then being released – Hey, this is what we're going to do. We're actually going to help you out. We're actually going to help the cartels out. We're going to make it easier for you. Get on CBP-1, get online, make an appointment, come to our ports of entry, go ahead, file a fraudulent claim, which we know you are, and we're going to release you anyway. So they're actually going to uh, legalize otherwise illegal activity. It's a shell game. They're going to master from the United States and American people, and they're going to claim victory. That's exactly what's happening right now. And I, I'm not sure that everybody understands. I, I love the way you put it as a shell game because I don't think everybody understands the impact and the severity that this whole parole situation is going to have on overall numbers and, and more so. Uh, I think there's still people out there that don't understand the, I guess, how how hard this hits home. And I think look no further than like New York City Mayor Eric Adams, right? Even though he tries to spin it, he's crying for help every day. Because his city's overrun. Now, granted, he's done a horrible job as mayor and the city was already overrun with crime. And now he just added insult to injury. But this can continue to many other big cities and small cities and anywhere else where there's work where someone that's new in America is going to say, hey, look, I'm going to work there. And as long as we keep letting them in, we're going to have this problem. And, and to me, this, this parole situation is just going to really make it that much worse. It is, Rich. I, I couldn't have said it better. And the use of parole is actually illegal. Parole is supposed to be used on a case-by-case -case for a specific humanitarian reason. They're not doing that. They're applying this massage of four major countries to parole. It's illegal. It, it, it really is a perversion of, of the law in, in direct violation of the law. And here's what I think a lot of people don't understand either, is that the majority of, of migrants that come and illegally enter the border and, and apply for asylum, they, they don't qualify. 
They're economic migrants. Look, I get it. They're looking to climb, climb the economic ladder, but that is not a valid asylum claim, nor is that a valid claim to be paroled in the United States. To have a valid asylum claim, you have to be specifically the victim of state persecution because of your involvement in a protected class. So we know over 90% of those that file asylum do not get relief in the end, meaning they're just fraudulent claims. And we know this. This is why you can't release everyone that comes to our border and, 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 and asks for asylum, because we know the majority are, are fraudulent. When we implied implied uh, uh, implemented MPP, the Remain in Mexico program, we mm -hmm. saw the numbers of those illegally entering reduced by 85% by February of 2020. Why? Because we sent the message to the entire world. We've closed the loophole in the system. We closed and stopped catch and release. As soon as we stopped releasing migrants that illegally entered in our country, guess what, Rich? They stopped coming because no longer when we were right. going to give them what they wanted as a country, and that was being released in the United States, never be heard from again. This administration turned catch and release back on. That's why we're seeing the numbers, because they know once they set foot at our port of entry or in between, they're going to be processed and released as fast as possible, never be heard from again in the United States. And this administration feigns like they have no idea what's causing it. They caused it, and they did it intentionally. And we're, we haven't even talked about the gotaways. We haven't even talked about the mm -hmm. drugs coming in. We haven't even talked about the potential criminals and potential national security threats that are coming in because there's no agents on the border because they're pulled off the line processing millions of illegal aliens. Yep, I like to say they've turned them from border agents to travel agents, and it's a shame. And it seems yep. like this administration doesn't care or doesn't understand that it's economics 101, right? There's supply and demand, and as long as we... Um, allow the supply to keep coming in, the demand will remain. Folks, we're on with Mark Morgan, visiting fellow at the Heritage Foundation, former Border Patrol chief. And uh, straight ahead, we're going to talk a little bit about these upcoming hearings from the House Judiciary Committee and the impact they might have, and a little bit more on the gotaways. Don't go anywhere. It's Mark Morgan and me, Rich Valdez, on America at Night. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez. We're on with Mark Morgan, visiting fellow at the Heritage Foundation. Uh, you see him on Newsmax commenting all the time on the crisis at the border. And uh, he was the border chief under Barack Obama and then was brought back by President Trump to stop some of the bleeding. And they did an amazing job along with uh, Tom Homan and others that are just really, in my opinion, expert in what you need to do to fix this problem. And it seems somehow the administration now seems to ignore just about everything they've got to say to make things uh, worse for every American and better for everybody that wants to enter the country illegally. Mark Morgan, um, looking at a, a report that says the House Judiciary Committee is set to hold a hearing on Wednesday uh, focused on the border crisis where they'll interview members of law enforcement. This is something we haven't seen at least in a while. And uh, I'm wondering, what, what's your thought with respect to how effective that'll be? Uh, I'm not sure, because the Oversight Committee committee is uh, anticipating holding a specific border security uh, hearing, and they had originally called, I believe, four or five career officials, uh, Border Patrol officials, who are actually on the front lines of this, they're in leadership positions, and that they reached out to the DHS Secretary Maricus and said, hey, here's a list. Here's what we'd like them to do. We'd like them to come and testify on these topics. 
And the DHS secretary said, no, he won't make the border security uh, career officials on the front lines of our nation's border. Um, he won't allow them to come and testify in front of the Congressional Oversight Committee. Uh, Rich, I, I've never heard of this. Yeah. This, this is truly unbelievable. And, and I've got some inside baseball that, that – so when you go to a hearing, and I've done mm-hmm. a, a, several of these hearings, you, you submit a, a written statement, and then when you're there, obviously you give an oral statement, usually five to seven minutes. Well, what I'm being told from my sources is, is these four career officials provided DHS secretary a copy of what their written statement would be. And when he saw it, he said, no way, I'm not letting him testify. <laughs> he said, oh, hell no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> wow. Right? right? It shouldn't surprise uh, us. I mean, Secretary Mayorka says, I mean, he's been the least transparent secretary and the most lying secretary that we've ever had at DHS. I mean, everything that comes out of that man's mouth is an absolute lie. What a loser. Well, this yep. this attempt seems to be going after uh, state officials and county officials in in Arizona and Texas and other um, you know border facing territories, and they want to put some of the focus on on fentanyl poisoning, which uh, I'm hoping this has a positive effect. I'm hoping that C-SPAN and the others, you know, they'll you know showcase what some of the people on the front lines are talking about since the administration is silencing their own officials from speaking out. Yeah, that's exactly right. Look, like the state of Texas, you're spot on. If it wasn't for the state of Texas and a couple of other governors like, you know, obviously Governor Abbott in Texas and DeSantis and others, uh, we, we want, we wouldn't be getting the information that we are getting because this, this administration is absolutely not being transparent or honest with the American people. And two, we, we wouldn't have the statistics that we have. Operation Lone Star, that's been in existence for over two years under the direction of Governor Abbott, has, from a law enforcement perspective, Rich has been extremely successful. I mean, they've apprehended hundreds of thousands of illegal aliens, thousands, tens of thousands of pounds of narcotics, including enough fentanyl, I think, now to kill every American, mm-hmm. not just citizen in Texas, uh, uh, guns and, and, and currency, and the list goes on and on and on, all of which would have gotten passed and made their way to every town, city, and state if it hadn't been for Governor Abbott and, and uh, uh, the Operation Lone Star. So I'm hoping through this hearing that that information will come out. And you mentioned fentanyl. That, that's one of three major issues with why this is about border security. Look, everybody, this administration wants to make it about immigration because if, if, you're, if you're against what's happening at the southwest border, if they're making it about immigration, therefore, if you're against immigration, you must be against brown people. If you're against brown people, you're a racist. They're winning that narrative, right? It, right? It's not. It's not about. Look, we're. I don't know. I don't know of a single person that's like Tom Holman and me and a, a few others that are absolutely strong, conservative, staunch advocates of a strong border security that isn't equally supportive of legal immigration. Right. right. But they want to. They want to convolute the two because it fits their narrative. The issue is this is about illegal immigration, which drives border patrol resources off the front line. In some areas, 80 to 90 percent of agents are pulled off the line to do, as you said, become a federal travel agency. That leaves large areas of border wide open, unpatrolled, unmonitored. We've literally handed operational control over the cartels. What happens? They exploit that control. They're pushing drugs, criminals, and potential national security threats that are making their way to every town, city, and state. We know the leading cause of, of death between 18 to 45 year olds is fentanyl. We know 170,000 Americans died from drugs in this country in a single year, and we know the overwhelming majority of fentanyl comes from our wide-open southwest border. And we haven't even talked about criminals or potential terrorists coming in. That alone there should be enough for every American to say, what the hell are we doing? Let's secure the border. Man. Whew. 
That's that's a mouthful. Folks, Mark Morgan, visiting fellow at the Heritage Foundation, Newsmax contributor, uh, former CBP chief. Mark Morgan, I want to thank you for being with us. Uh, there's so much more that we, we can talk about. We got to do it again really soon. I hope you'll come back. Rich, for you, anytime. Thanks for what you're doing. You're serving the country equally as much as I ever have by getting the truth and the information out to American people. So thank you for what you do. You bet. We'll continue beating the drum. Let everybody know where they could find your work and follow you and keep uh, in touch. Heritage, heritage.org is a great place to be. And you know, even though DirecTV has canceled them, there's many ways you can get on there and stream Newsmax, and I encourage everybody to do it. Yep. Check out IWantNewsmax.com if you want to check that out. Um, a great place to get excellent information. Again, Mark Morgan, thank you, sir. You're a patriot. You bet. Thank you. All right, folks, there is more to come straight ahead. We're going to go to some of your calls for those of you that are waiting. i got a couple of things I want to run by you. And uh, then we're going to continue the conversation into what is going on with these uh, police officers. Now three fire department officials have been fired and another cop. This one happens to be a not African-American. This one's white. Now they're saying, well, that's definitely racism then. Um, I mean, I laugh because of the incredulity at, at these statements in such a serious and horrible thing. Anyway, don't go anywhere. More to come straight ahead. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And I wanted to um, just shed a little bit of light on uh, some of the talk here, right? The New York Times today has got a story out that says the Scorpion unit that emerged uh, as as a result of the Memphis Police Department's strategy to get tough, uh, they're putting the blame on the Scorpion unit. You've probably heard about this over the recent, the last week since this whole thing emerged. And I have to say, you know, I grew up in, in Brooklyn and moved to New Jersey when I was around 12, right on, you know, on the other side of the Hudson River, Hudson County. And the the city of New York has, was always the city to go to, right? So if you live in North Jersey, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, it's 15 minutes away, 10 minutes, you know, depending on how close you are to one of the bridge or the tunnel. And it was always a great city. Up until recently, you know, I used to allow my kids to go there. I went there for recreational purposes. Now it's kind of like I'll do what I can to avoid it. You know, sometimes I have work functions. All right, that's cool. But not not somewhere you want to be. And a lot of it has to do with the disbanding of the New York City uh, Police Department's anti-crime unit, where they had a, a street team of guys that were dressed in plain clothes that were very aggressive going after guns on the street. And any other, you know, street crime. But that was their thing, going after guns, getting the bad guys with the guns. And when you look at the numbers of shootings and armed robberies and whatnot, when they're going up in a city like New York City, and I'm just going to make the presumption without looking at any data, that there was probably a crime surge in Memphis. And that's why they implemented this Scorpion unit to begin with. And you bring in some of your tougher guys, usually guys that know the streets, you know, from before they were cops and whatnot. And now there's a lot of talk that these cops had had um, some sort of um, may have had some speculation 
that uh, rumors, I should say, where there may have been some gang involvement with police and whatnot. I don't know the the facts on that. I'm still looking into that. There's a bunch of stuff out there that to me isn't uh, conclusive enough. But my point is, you want a good street crimes unit. What you don't want are bad cops. And I think in a situation like this, it, it it's it's indicative of a lot of things. And I, I'm going to ask a former police chief, you know, his thoughts on it. But to me, it seems like it's institutional, it's cultural, right? There, there seems like an issue where everybody seemed to be in agreement where they were like, oh, snap, we messed this thing up now. And now everybody's on board, right, with delaying and, and doing the wrong thing. Um, so I, I just, uh, I don't know even where to begin with this, but this is one of those things that we, we need to kind of take apart and understand. Um, I don't want to say that it's a, a, a problem that every police department has, but it seems that maybe it was just this particular unit that had this, this type of uh, morale issue, but we can't have that situation, right? I mean, it's one thing to be rough to get the handcuffs onto somebody. It's another thing to get rough on somebody after they're handcuffed and, and to have that many people involved and nobody really speak up or try to put an end to it, it's, it's just very disconcerting uh, to me. And uh, I'm sure, um, you know, gut-wrenching for the family. Anyway, there is more to come straight ahead. We're going to get with former Detroit Police Chief James Craig. He's also a former deputy mayor there. And um, we're going to get to the bottom of this. Don't go anywhere. We're just getting started. Hour 2 starts right now. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And feel free to give us a call, 833, the number 4, Valdez, my last name, 833-482-5337, if you want to weigh in on the conversation. I want to go to a quick headline uh, before we kick off this interview, because uh, it seems that President Biden is scheduled to end the national COVID emergency on May 11th. So um, keep your eyes peeled for that. And another headline that I read to you just a little while ago was that six me- a sixth Memphis police officer involved in the Tyree Nichols investigation has been fired. Uh, his name is Hemphill, Preston Hemphill. And three, three paramedics were also um, fired as well. So this continues to... Um, to expand and to help us get an, uh, an understanding of things here, because while I think those uh, on the left and, you know, those in the grievance industry and those that really just want to make this about racism will make it about racism. I think it's about uh, other problems that, that, that exist where you may have the, the wrong fit uh, institutional issues. Uh, let's see what our guest has to say. He's an expert on this stuff because he's a former police chief himself from the city of Detroit. He's also a former deputy mayor there. James Craig, Chief James Craig. Welcome, sir. 
How you doing, Rick? Glad to be on your show. Thank you, brother. Thank you for being here. I appreciate it. Uh, thanks for making the time and staying up late at night to talk to all of America because this is um, this is a, a tragic story. And I think so many people have so many questions and none of us are qualified to answer any of these questions. You know, all we have is opinions. And I could look at this and say, look, my, I grew up at Brothers on the Job, NYPD. Uh, I always wanted to be a cop. They talked me out of it. They said, you know, you've got a lot going on. Do this, do that, do whatever. So I, I did a, a volunteer gig. Uh, in the town I lived in in New Jersey, and I went to an abbreviated academy and learned about use of force and things like that. So, I mean, I know as much as they, I learned there in the you know t- couple of years that I did that, but wow. you've made an entire yeah. career out of this. And in making an entire career out of this and in a city like Detroit where you're dealing with serious issues, um, you, I, I'm really curious to know, what is your initial reaction when, when you saw this video? Well, you know, certainly uh, I was troubled. You know, whenever there's um, situations like this and, you know, I know and some in the, in the community don't know, but this is not reflective of the, the vast majority of the men and women who serve. And, Rich, I know you, you know that as well. Of course. Um, I, I had a front seat with Rodney King back in the early 90s. I, was, uh, I served uh, in Los Angeles for 28 years. I was a sergeant at the time of the Rodney King incident. Uh, I was there uh, when that unfolded, the subsequent civil unrest. And, and so I'm keenly aware of the impact that it can have to a department, to a city, to a nation. And so when I saw this and, and, and thinking back to my time in Los Angeles, clearly uh, this incident was far worse. Uh, I had not seen anything to this degree. Uh, but a lot of things came to mind, and there's been a lot of conversation. I've had the good fortune of talking about this issue on on Fox News over the last 72 hours at least six times. Uh, I was on News uh, uh, Newsmax today uh, talking to Eric Rollins about the issues, and mm-hmm. and really the issue is 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 what I believe based on my experience. I uh, and just for your uh, listeners. Um, while I served the last eight years as a chief in Detroit, prior to that, I was chief in Cincinnati, Ohio, and before that, chief in Portland, Maine. I guess your listeners might say, wait a minute, he left Los Angeles to go to Portland, Maine? <laughs> well, that's a story in and of itself. But uh, that said, um, you know, when I took a look at this, certainly uh, the people that are trying to make this into a race issue and nothing more, uh, nothing more than race baiters, uh, hypocrites, uh, and it, it's just fascinating to me how they'll take anything. And, and to be candid, uh, I've dealt with a lot of officer-involved shooting incidents uh, during my time as chief of mm-hmm. police. And sadly, the first question I would get uh, by those above me many times was, "Hey." Uh, was the officer white or black. Now, hmm. how about what happened? I mean, right. tell me what happened. Is the officer okay? And, and because a white officer fired his weapon, does that automatically mean that it's a, a racist incident? Absolutely not. I have worked alongside some of the best police officers in America of all races, gender, uh, and officers who ran towards danger, and it's insulting to me 
when we put a person's race on it first yeah. and determine whether or not this is a bad or a good shoe. Now, this situation involved all black officers, as your listeners know. Uh, it is absolutely, in my judgment, not a race issue. Now, some on the far left will stretch it and say, well, you know, they work in an institution of systemic racism. I'm offended by that. Uh, I've served in law enforcement for 44 years. I started at the youthful age of 19, uh, and it's been the best career. I'm, I'm very grateful for it. But uh, did I see when I started in 1977 in Detroit as a new officer, did I see uh, individuals who uh, engage in racist acts? Yes, I did. But to just simply say that this situation was racist is reckless. It's, it's more about dividing our country. Uh, these officers were criminals. Uh, and many of the officers who do good each and every day are not supportive of this kind of act. And so the first thing that came to mind when I saw it, I had to take a look and say, well, five officers involved in this beating. Now, is this a cultural issue associated with this so-called scorpion unit? Mm -hmm. Possibly. In fact, there's uh, information that's kind of coming out now that at least one of the officers had been involved in some questionable force issues recently. Uh, Might have been sued. He prevailed in that. And so it, 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 it just begs the question, if five officers were involved, was this an accepted practice? Was this an anomaly? I'd say, in my judgment, not an anomaly, and to make matters worse, then let's talk about the officers who were complicit, who just stood there and watched it. Right. So you're a police officer. You do nothing. You say nothing. You just basically go along with it. So as far as I'm concerned, you're complicit, and you're probably going to get charged as well. Uh, and as it's been pointed out uh, today, uh, more EMT uh, officers have been fired, another officer in the department's been fired, he would probably face charges if I had to guess if he was there and did nothing. So those issues for me raise the question of culture. Secondly, right. Well, before you go on to your second point, because I want to follow up on, on the issue of culture, and folks, we're on with Chief James Craig, former Detroit police chief, former deputy mayor as well. Uh, chief Craig, stick with us. We're going to hit a break real quick. We're going to come right back, and I want to just uh, talk about culture, because I, I believe you, uh, and it's it's also my belief, that perhaps this unit, um, and not because of the unit itself, but just maybe the leadership of that unit, allowed too many things to happen, maybe turned a blind eye one too many times, and allowed this culture to exist where a practice like this might be acceptable, and clearly it's not acceptable. Don't go anywhere, folks. We're coming right back with Chief James Craig, Detroit former uh, police chief. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. listen to you rich all the time america at night with rich valdez all right america welcome back rich valdez we're on with former detroit police chief and former deputy mayor over there in detroit james craig uh, an expert in all these things because of his decades of experience 
Chief James Craig has been a police officer longer than I've been alive. So how about that for expertise? Chief, uh, you were just telling us about the institutional problem that uh, potentially may exist when you have five officers and pretty much nobody going, what the heck are you guys doing? How dare you? I mean, there's video. doesn't seem like anybody stepped in to do anything. Uh, well, how, do you, how do you go about diagnosing something like that? You know, when I see something like this, the first thing that comes to mind that these officers engage in this criminal behavior because they felt they could get away with it. They were wearing body-worn cameras. They knew or should have known that there were pole cameras up uh, throughout the city. So there was a, a high probability that if they were going to get involved in some nefarious activity, it was going to be caught on videotape. But they didn't mm-hmm. care. What's, when we talk about culture, and the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm focused on that right now, because they were too comfortable, they did what they did, you know, someone making assertions that it could be personal uh, against this, this young man. That may come out later. I don't know of any evidence that supports that right now. But one thing that we do know factually is that there were no supervisors. Now, I know having stood up a uh, specialized unit, uh, crime-fighting unit, uh, there's high risk with that. And so you want to put your best officers in it, officers who can work independently, but you also want to make sure you have sufficient supervision and management oversight to make sure they're doing it the right way. And right. so when the chief comes out and says, at some point, says, well, we just don't have enough supervisors. Wait a minute, you stood this unit up two years ago because you wanted to abate the violent crime in Memphis. I get that. But you just can't do it halfway. Part of, you know, launching a unit like this, you have to make sure there's appropriate level of supervision. That supervisor has to be attached. And you've got to put your best supervisors to oversee these kind of units because things happen. I've seen them from my time in L.A., uh, I can remember our crash units, the, the big investigation that came out of that, in, uh, uh, which was our gang unit, and how we had to disband it. And, and so when you talk about where do you go next, so, okay, we suspend the officers, we fire the officers, we charge the officers. The city is being applauded for their uh, quick execution on addressing this issue. That's only part of it. You know, at some point, the city, the police department is going to have to do a forensic audit. Is this just isolated to this one unit? Is it a a pattern of conduct reflective of the Memphis Police Department? And if so, what is the next step? I mean, one thing that we know that uh, this specialized unit had these two-year police officers in it. Now, I recognize that recruitment is difficult. Retention is difficult. So you're losing a lot of tenured officers. Sure. But you can't make excuses where we just don't have enough supervisors. That's an excuse. And and so I'll go off on on a ledge and say, could this have been preventable? Well, when you talk about lack of supervision, no supervisors present, and, and possibly cultural issues, yes, it could have been prevented. 
and and that's the sad reality. And and sometimes as the chief, the chief does set the tone in the department. Sometimes you got to look in the mirror and say, "We missed some things. We missed some things." Because some flags were going up before this incident, uh, as I indicated in the in the prior segment. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, this young man or one of them had been involved in some uh, some behavior. Uh, we don't know how many other incidents. And then you got a community right now that's coming out and say, well, we know about the, the Scorpion unit and we've had some problems with it. Now, Grad Chief was well-intentioned in uh, deploying a unit uh, that would focus on violent crime. Uh, I've done it several times. I did it in Detroit. Uh, we didn't have any problems because we had clear supervision. I personally was involved from setting the appropriate tone because when you put young officers in these kind of units, at times bad things can happen. Sure. Yeah, I, I just look at it like you get a bunch of young guys. They're gung ho. They're cowboys. They're they're in the gym. They're doing great physical condition, and you need some OGs, right, to say, "Hey, hold on, slow slow it down. You got to do it this way. Do it by the book. Make sure you know you're not getting hurt or they're not getting hurt." And uh, it's a it's a team effort. So yeah, I, I agree with that. And your point, I think, is really well received regarding supervisors. Uh, with a lieutenant from the uh, from the fire department being fired today, along with two EMTs. After and I, I don't know if that's the only reason, but they're saying it took 23 minutes before um, they arrived and got him on a gurney. And uh, I don't know the extent of all that. I'm still looking into yeah, a lot of it. What I'm wondering, you know, when I yes, hear sir. that, because I was fortunate that here in Detroit, I've, I've had officers many times get mm-hmm. involved in a violent confrontation with a suspect where they had to use deadly force, and after they deployed force. Instead of waiting for the medics to show, they immediately put him in the backseat of the police car and took him to the hospital. That was common, not uncommon. And so when I hear this, I mean, did some of the officers at the scene tell the medics to stand down? Because, you know, the only time the medics would stand down, if you're in a a crisis situation, say with an armed suspect and it's bar- right, a barricade suspect. So you mm-hmm. know, and shots have been fired. Of course, you don't want the medics to go into a, a, a hot zone. So standing the medics down in an instance like that is proper if the scene is still hot. But this young man was a 145 pound man, five officers at least, uh, wrestling and kicking this, this young man. Uh, he absolutely was not a threat. Now, you know, one of the officers kind of made some reference that he tried to go for the gun. He was not an active threat. And I, right. I looked at it, I mean, I don't know what led up to the actual stop. And it's interesting that the department's not talking about it. They yeah, don't it know. Seems nobody knows. They, they say there's some, it was a, a, a traffic situation, reckless driving, which, okay, I get all of that. But then you run up to the car, use bad tactics, and you have the good fortune of coming out of the Los Angeles Police Department. And I will tell you, the LAPD is probably one of the most tactical police departments in the country. Uh, I learned a lot. You don't run up to a car, especially if, whether it's a, now if it's a misdemeanor situation, which if this is a reckless driver, yeah, you would go up to the car, but you wouldn't run up 
and then pull this guy out. Right. I mean, it just it makes no sense. And then when I look at it, yeah, the young man started running away. And so some might say, well, you shouldn't run from the police. Well, the man's calling for his mother. Could it be yeah. that he was afraid? Could it be? I don't know. And maybe all of this will come out in the weeks ahead. Uh, but I've looked at so many of these, these types of incidents, force-related incidents. Mm-hmm. This is a problem. Yeah. Folks, we're on with Chief James Craig. Chief, the music means they're kicking me out, but I want to thank you for your insight and your analysis, and I'm hoping you'll join us again soon. Sounds good. I look forward to it, Rich. You have a great night. You too. Night. God bless, God Chief. God bless. Amen. More to come straight ahead on America at Night with Rich Valdez. That was Chief James Craig. Don't go anywhere. We're going to continue. character, their love for their country, and the work that they get to do uh, on a committee is, is wrong, uh, and it is politically motivated, uh, and in some cases is motivated by the fact that many of these members don't believe a Muslim, uh, a refugee, an African should even be in Congress, let alone have the opportunity you, to serve on the Foreign Affairs Committee. You said that before. I mean, it sounds like you're accusing Kevin McCarthy of racism. I mean... I'm not making any accusations. I'm just laying out the facts. You remember Donald Trump coming into my state and saying, Muslims, Somali refugees are infiltrating our country. You remember Marjorie Taylor Greene coming to Congress after Rashida and I got sworn in and saying, Muslims are infiltrating Congress. You remember Boebert saying that I was a terrorist. What did McCarthy do? He said she apologized, and we don't have to worry about her Islamophobia. That never happened. And so these people are okay with Islamophobia. They're okay with trafficking in their own ways, in anti-Semitism. They are not okay with having a Muslim have a voice on that committee. All right, America, that was Representative Ilhan Omar on CNN yesterday saying that McCarthy and his group don't want her on the committee because she is a Muslim refugee. Now, uh, I think there's been uh, several cases made against why she's not on the committee, but uh, that was her take on it. To help us make sense of what's going on is Brian Leib, former executive director at Iranian Americans for Liberty. Brian, welcome, sir. Rich, good to be on, and congratulations on the new show. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. Thank God. And uh, I listen to this and I think, you know, who better than you to, to comment on this? I know you've always kept your finger on the pulse of what's going on with um, the anti-Semitism in Congress, as well as so many of, of her uh, really, I'm going to say, derelict comments. And, and I think this is one of them. I think this is uh, the, the twisting of words to try and make a point. What do you think? 
I think you're exactly correct. And um, I don't really have a lot of nice things to say about Ilhan Omar, but one thing I will say about her is she is a, she is a master manipulator. She really knows how to twist words uh, and how to really play the victim card. And, and, and I would say, you know, I think we've noticed a pattern here with Ilhan Omar and that's every time uh, that she's in the news, which is quite frequently, uh, it's always some controversy involving her spewing anti-Semitism, uh, something about anti-Israel, and also some anti-American uh, bile as well. You know, we've never really heard much about Ilhan in the news when it comes to a policy issue that's helping her constituents uh, or celebrating uh, all the wonderful things uh, that America has done for her uh, as a refugee coming to this country. You know, we always hear about um, her and, and her controversies. So I think that's one thing worth pointing out. Um, and, and perhaps, you know, one of the most remarkable things here is, despite all of this, is that um, not only does she get reelected um, by her constituents back in her, her home district, uh, but that she also has a seat on the very powerful and influential House Foreign Affairs Committee. And I think that reveals the extent to which uh, her party, the Democratic Party, is willing to stoop uh, to pursue, you know, the raw power that, that they desire rather than defend uh, America's foundational principles and also speaking up for uh, for Israel, which is America's um, oldest and, and longest ally in the Middle East. And and, and I applaud Speaker McCarthy for, for promising uh, to remove her from the House Foreign Affairs Committee. Uh, and now he's putting the wheels in motion to make good on his promise. And and, and I think that's it's something that needs to be done. We're not saying that Ilhan Omar is being removed from Congress. She still has the opportunity uh, to hold a press conference every single day if she wants. She can go on the floor and give her one or five minute speech every time they're in session. Uh, I think what we're saying, what Speaker McCarthy is saying and what his supporters are saying is that Ilhan Omar clearly has a bias about Israel. Uh, and, um, and, and, and she just doesn't belong on the House Foreign Affairs Committee, where her task on that committee is building and fostering relationships with our allies around the region. And oh, by the way, they receive a lot of very sensitive intel um, on that committee. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, I really think McCarthy's doing the right thing. And, and if I could, Rich, I just want to quickly yeah. run down some of the things that she said. Is that okay? Yeah, go right ahead. You know, so so this is Ilhan Omar. This is someone that just this past Sunday, uh, yesterday on CNN, said uh, that she didn't know that there was um, tropes related to Jews and money. Uh, this is the same person <laughs> you, you, that you said, know. That's so you know, funny. That that yeah. um, I, I was just reading that as uh, as you were before you mentioned it, and I thought, you know, that that's come on. We hear these things all the time. <laughs> Yet uh, she's a sitting congressperson that's been uh, accused multiple times of anti-Semitism, and is going to say she's never heard of such a thing. I just find it laughable. Well, it's exactly, and that goes back to my original point about she's a master manipulator, and she really is good in manipulating situations. And I mean, for her to sit there with a straight face and say that she didn't know what she said when she said that it's all about the Benjamins baby, when she was referring to APAC, or she didn't know what she meant when she said in 2012, that Israel has hypnotized the world and may Allah awaken the people and help them see the evil doings of Israel. That's that, that is, that is verbatim what Ilhan Omar said. And of course the icing on the cake with her is, um, 
during the Afghanistan withdrawal, which was an absolute debacle handled by this president, uh, she took to Twitter to say that the United States military is similar to Hamas and Taliban, two foreign terrorist organizations. Um, you know, and, and finally, Rich, in 2019, Ilhan Omar was a keynote speaker for CARE, which is the Council for American and Islamic Relations. Now, CARE is a is a group that has been labeled, rightly so, by almost every single Jewish group as very anti-Israel, and they have had speakers that are very supportive of terrorist groups such as Hamas and the Muslim Brotherhood. And at this CARE event, this is what she had to say about in reference to the 9-11 attacks. Quote, she said, CARE was founded after 9-11 because they recognized that some people did something and that all of us were starting to lose our access to civil liberty. Some people did something. First of all, Ilhan Omar, some people were terrorists. And what they did something on that day was brutally kill thousands of Americans and international citizens that were in our country. So, you know, that's who Ilhan Omar is. And, and, you know, for her to, you know, play, play dumb and and play the victim on CNN, um, give me a break. I don't buy it for a second. She knows exactly what she's doing. She knows exactly how to say it. And, um, and, and and not only, I mean, listen, if I was in her district, I would run against her. (laughs) I, I mean, I would do anything to get her out of Congress. She is just absolutely horrible. All right, folks, we're on with Brian Leib, uh, former executive director at Iranian Americans for Liberty. Uh, We're discussing Ilhan Omar's comments. And I also want to get your reaction to the uh, attack uh, in Israel um, just recently. So don't go anywhere. There's more to come straight ahead. Brian Leib is our guest. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of these social media. Our telephone number is 833-482-5337-833, the number four, my last name, Valdez with an S. And our guest is Brian Live, uh, former executive director at Iranian Americans for Liberty. And I want to discuss a little bit about um, what happened with this recent attack uh, where there was some celebration in the streets afterwards uh, by those that support the Palestinian Authority. I saw a news report on this, and I said, oh, my gosh, this is horrible. Brian Leibn. You know, as uh, as a Jewish American and as someone that, that very much loves the state of Israel, um, Friday night was, was very difficult for, for, for many, many of us, and especially for me to see. Um, Friday was also, as you probably know, Rich, was International Holocaust Remembrance Day. Yes. Um, so for, for, for Arab terrorists to uh, decide that that was the day that they were going to launch um, uh, a deadly shooting that killed, uh, I think, uh, at least seven, seven Jews in Jerusalem, uh, it is, um, it's really problematic. And, and unfortunately, it's it's not the first time it happened, and there's been many, many events like this and horrible events uh, inside of Israel. And and um, and you're right; uh, it's it's painful to see uh, Palestinians uh, 
rejoicing and dancing and shooting off fireworks and handing out candy uh, as Jewish blood is, is running through the streets of Jerusalem. Uh, but that that is also not something that's new, and, and that's something that I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, and I'm glad that the American people are starting to see that reality. Um, you certainly wouldn't see Israelis doing that, you know. Um, you certainly would not see Israelis uh, celebrating uh, the death of, of innocent uh, men, women, and children, uh, Palestinians. Um, but um, listen, this is what this is what Israel has to deal with every single day. Not only are they are they constantly under attack inside their own borders, but they also have external threats uh, all throughout the country. Um, and as we've talked about a lot on this program, I think, Rich, uh, is that there's no bigger funder uh, of the terrorist groups that seek to destroy and eradicate the state of Israel than the Islamic Republic of Iran. And, and Iran is funding, Lebanon, uh, funding Hezbollah and Lebanon, the Houthi rebels in Yemen, um, and countless other groups, and especially inside of Israel. Hamas in the Gaza Strip, would they wouldn't be able to pay their bills for, for a week unless it was for the Islamic Republic of Iran transferring millions of dollars to them every month. Um, so um, these radical, radical Arab terrorists that, that kill Jews inside of Israel, uh, I think Tehran uh, has the blood of Jews on their hands. And and dare I say um, that, in large part, uh, Tehran has grown so much stronger, Rich, under the last 24 months with, with Joe Biden in the White House. Um, and I think you've seen that across the board from a foreign policy perspective. Uh, America doesn't really have a foreign policy agenda anymore. I mean, we've seen Iran, Russia, China get stronger than ever before. And that's the new access to evil in the world, those three countries. Um, and um, it's it's very scary what's happening uh, throughout throughout the world. It's very scary what's happening in Israel, and also it's scary what's happening here in America. You know, Jews over the last uh, several years, there's been several attacks where Jews have been murdered in cold blood on the streets of America. And just this past Sunday, yesterday, uh, there was uh, an individual in North Jersey who threw a Molotov cocktail at a at a synagogue and tried to set the synagogue on fire. That is routine. Uh, that, that is routinely happening here in America, whether it's Jewish houses of worship that are under attack or it's Orthodox Jews that are under attack on a weekly basis in the streets of Brooklyn. Um, there really is, is a major, major issue that we're having in this country right now and throughout the world with regards to anti-Semitism, which you know, is also known as Jew hatred. And I think that that brings us back to the earlier point and, and why I came on here tonight is to talk about Ilhan Omar. And to talk about the, the the vile hatred that she spews for the the Jewish people and for the state of Israel, and, and when she gets away with it at the highest levels of government, um, you know that sends a me- that sends a message to other Americans that they can get away with it as well. Um, so um, it's uh, it's really 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 not good what's happening uh, around the world, but especially especially in Israel, um, but. Uh, you know, we've got to stay strong. And, and, and if you have any Jewish Jewish uh, listeners that, that are listening right now, I, I think the, the biggest thing that we can do is, as Jewish people is, is have pride in who we are um, and to be strong. And, and, and we have to call out Jew hatred in all of its forms. Whenever it, it rears its ugly <clears throat> head, we cannot be afraid to call it out. And, and thankfully, we also have, have friends and allies like you, Rich, and so many other people that 
that fight this fight with us. And, and it means the world that we have friends like you. Yeah, well, absolutely. And, you know, I, I tend to look at this very pragmatically, but very practically as well. I, I think of the Machiavellian principle that the enemy of my enemy is my friend. I think of the Islamic Republic of Iran um, and how they open their their parliamentary sessions shouting death to America, right? Death to the big Satan, death to the little Satan, Israel. And mm-hmm. and this is a, a routine thing. And they take joy in this chant. I've seen some video. I, I used to play the audio pretty regularly on my show because I felt like not enough people knew about that. And, 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 and they're so passionate about shouting death to America. And so I think if those guys in Iran are shouting death to America, and that's how they open Congress. We open Congress here with a prayer. They open it with death to America. And if that's the case, and we have one little island of hope called Israel in, in the Middle East there that is our ally, then the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And I've got to make sure I've got Israel's back because Israel's got my back because we share something in common, which is the fact that these people want to wipe them and us off of the map. And to me, it just, it's simple, it's simple common sense. Yet somehow, whether it's Ilhan Omar or others that embrace uh, Iran, uh, the same way there's people that embrace China, who is, you know, just... uh, as evil in that new axis of evil that you pointed out to me, it just always floors me that we have people that just don't take the the more practical approach. But that is sadly the case. Uh, folks, we're on with Brian Lyme, former executive director at Iranian Americans for Liberty. And uh, we're going to continue this conversation about, you know, what's happening in the Middle East, what's happening with Iran, what's happening with Israel, as well as some censorship in the media, because there's a lot that we don't hear about. And uh, if some of the big media have their way, there's less we're going to hear about. And the other day, somebody criticized me and said, doesn't this guy realize he is the media? No, I'm not the media. I'm in talk radio, which is probably a small sliver of the media where we're kind of shouting at the rooftops to try and uh, break through the noise. So I don't consider myself part of the media, but uh, I guess some would like to say that I am. Anyway, there is more to come with Brian Live straight ahead. Don't move a muscle. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez here with Brian Live, former executive director at Iranian Americans for Liberty. And uh, Brian Live, we talked about how, you know, things are corrupted and how people are misleading uh, but it seems that even those in the media, some big corporations like AT&T under uh, their uh, direct TV label are trying to yet again stifle the truth that goes out over the air. And it, it's funny how when they want to censor speech, the speech that they're always trying to censor is the speech that comes from the center right conservative speech. What do you think about that? Well, that's exactly correct. And, and, and this latest uh, stunt by DirecTV and their parent company, AT&T, um, is a, a blatant uh, and brazen act of censorship of the worst kind. Uh, last year, as we all know, 
DirecTV deplatformed One America. Um, and uh, just last Tuesday at, at midnight, uh, they did the exact same thing to, to Newsmax. And, you know, Newsmax uh, is, is the fourth highest rated uh, cable news network in America. Uh, they're a top 16 highest rated cable channel for daytime viewers. So, you know, this is a very substantial network. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I think the American people, they really need to rise up and, and they need to hold AT&T and DirecTV accountable um, because what's happening uh, now uh, and then coming after Newsmax is, um, again, it's, it's just it's blatant political censorship um, at, at its worst. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, if there's any of your viewers out there that are DirecTV customers and are supportive of Newsmax, they can go to IWantNewsmax.com to learn a little bit more about what's happening right now. And, and I think I might've just heard, was that 45's voice that I just heard uh, before? Yes, coming sir. On? Was that president Trump's voice? It was. You know, president Trump has, uh, has uh, been fantastic in supporting Newsmax and he's come out swinging and, and supported Newsmax on this as well. So uh, Brian Live, uh, I want to yeah, thank people. you for joining us. Uh, Brian Live, former exec at the Iranian Americans for Liberty. Hope you'll come back soon, brother. Thank you, sir. Have a good night. You got it. God bless. All right, folks, open phone America coming right up. Don't move a muscle. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late-night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And our phone number, this is Open Phone America, so it's your turn to weigh in on America's late-night town hall forum right here on America at Night. The Open Phone America extravaganza is open. The phone number, 833-482-5337. That's 833, the number four, and my last name, Valdez with an S. And feel free to chime in on social media. I'll check that during the breaks and uh, take a look at your comments, but I'd love to hear from you tonight. We have a lot to discuss. Uh, Of course, we kind of kicked off the show talking about the border, and our buddy Mark Morgan joined us with some excellent information and the way things are progressing, or I should say uh, uh, digressing uh, with uh, the situation at the border. Uh, We also talked about a sixth officer being ID'd and fired by the Memphis Police Department. Uh, We also talked about the attacks in Israel. Um, And by the way, we did that with... um, Former Detroit Police Chief James Craig, excellent interview. If you missed that, make sure you check out the podcast. And uh, we t- just spoke with our buddy Brian Leib about the attacks in Israel on um, World Holocaust Remembrance Day and uh, the um, ensuing um, comments by Ilhan Omar, which um, he called her out for. So we'll continue those uh, topics of conversation. But I want to also talk about just some of the crazy things that happen. Like, you know, if you were a dominatrix, right? And you wanted to steal someone's identity. Well, how would you do it? Well, if you were a dominatrix named Victoria Nasirova, 
then you would try to kill a friend of yours that looks like you with poison cheesecake. The problem was good old Victoria left her DNA behind, and that's exactly what prosecutors argued on Monday in this chilling case of a Russian-born dominatrix named Victoria Nazroya. This is according to the New York Post, who's accused of trying to kill her doppelganger friend by feeding her a slice of poison cheesecake in a twisted identity theft scheme. Nazarova allegedly left a mess of evidence behind, according to Assistant uh, District Attorney Konstantinos Liturgis. Uh, he is what he told the jurors. Her DNA was all over the cheesecake box, and she blabbed about her alleged crimes in several jailhouse interviews. The DNA that was on the container belongs to Victoria Nasrova, he said in his opening statements in Queen's Supreme Court. So on top of everything, you're going to hear from civilian witnesses. You're going to learn that there's a cheesecake container that had tranquilizer in it, and it also had the defendant's DNA on it. Now, in media interviews, Nasrovia gave... Nazarova, excuse me, gave um, in the wake of her arrest, uh, including to the New York Post back in 2017, she boasted about her S&M loving clients. And they're also going to be uh, front and center in this trial. So we'll, we'll see what how this thing turns out. But fascinating to know that if, you know, you might get offed by a dominatrix if you happen to look like her. Thankfully, I don't think there's any dominatrix that look like me or my wonderful head of hair. But uh, that's a scary situation. It's a tough story. Anyway, I want to open up the phone lines and get your reactions to this particular story because I think it's kind of crazy um, that, you know, she would kill somebody to steal their identity. But, you know, what do I know, right? This is apparently how things are done. Let us uh, open up those phone lines and uh, go to Frank in Canton, Ohio. WINR, he's been holding on. Frank, welcome. Hey, thank you, Rich. Uh, on that deal, people kill people for a lot of reasons, okay? And uh, mm-hmm. I wanted to go back to, to what we were talking about earlier, listening to. You know, I don't believe the enemy and my enemy is my friend. I believe a, a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. They don't have Christians. I'll give you a for instance. It's not, It's it, they don't have any Christians over there in Beijing on their board, okay? They don't have any Christians on their board over in Moscow, okay? They don't have any Christians over there in Saudi Arabia or Iran in their government. I don't see, and and, and so I really don't see any reason to have uh, Iranians, uh, I mean, Islamics or communists in our government business. All right. Well, let me just chime in quickly just to to just make sure we're on the same page here. Uh, Well, in Iran, they are a theocracy. Right. So they they operate um, with the the, their religion operates their government. And um, it's a whole different system than than we have, obviously. And I think you're right. Um, There is no Christianity that's allowed in China. So I don't think we're ever going to have any um, Christians, you know, um, as part of the Chinese Communist Party because the Christians in China are underground and they're hiding. And I've met a couple years ago that were part of an underground church in China that said that in order to read the Bible, what they did was they would smuggle Bibles in and they wouldn't just, you know, hey, here's the Bible for you this week and for the other one next week. No, they would actually rip the pages out of the Bible and say, all right, you know, I'll I'll take page, you know, page one and two today or, you know, a series of pages and um, and then they would swap those pages with one another 
uh, down to like the page, and they were ripping up these Bibles to disseminate um, the um, the information. That was the contraband. And it's just a fascinating way to to see how how um, how your to your point, they don't allow that in other countries. Um, with respect to Russia, I believe their their national religion uh, is is Greek Orthodox, which is of the Christian tradition. So I would say that you know one of the things that they pride themselves on, you know, and I think it's propaganda, but is typically saying you know we we are we're sticking up for Christianity, uh, even even though um, I don't think that they technically do. But this is uh, kind of how Putin tries to to um, promote his ethnic nationalism by saying he's promoting Christianity and they put so much propaganda into that, into the, here in the States that people say, you know what, that guy Putin, man, he's standing up for Jesus. Good guy. Uh, I would take to, uh, um, to, to saying he's full of crap on that. But the, the final point I wanted to share with you, Frank, was that in the United States, we're not a theocracy, right? And we're, and we're not the, the Chinese communist party and we're not Putin. So I would hope that we're not doing any of the same things that they're doing and that we're welcoming dissent and that we're welcoming people who don't agree because ultimately these people are elected and and that's the beauty of America. Whether we agree with them or not, we can't just sit here and impose something on them and say, well, I don't like the way you worship. Um, Well, that's just how it works. You know, if we don't like the way they worship, then we've got to make it our business to, to, to make sure we beat this woman in Congress. And personally, I don't think we should be biased by religion. I think there's many members of Congress that um, are are uh, Muslims and and don't behave the way Ilhan Omar does. And I think they behave with the best interest of America in their hearts and minds. At least this is my thought. You know, I'm sure there's plenty out there that would like to argue with me, but uh, I think that that's just a matter of fact. And I think Ilhan Omar is in a uh, of a class of her own when it comes to things like making the statements that she says, when she says it's all about the Benjamins, it's all about this, it's an all, all about that. So uh, those are my thoughts on that. But I, I thank you for it. And I listen, and I get your frustration because I realize that, you know, we want to make America stronger. We want to make America better. And um, we're not basing it on religion, of course. We're just basing it on those American values that I think we all share. At least that's my thought, Frank. Rich, can I share something? Yeah, go right ahead quickly. Okay. You know, here's the thing. Saudi Arabia and the Islamic uh, uh, believe it. Slavery and abortion, big-time activists for the death penalty and numerous, numerous religious laws. They believe in cruel punishment laws and anti-freedom for women. So I mm-hmm. don't know how you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna meld in Islamic, in, in, in Islamics and Muslims into our government when we have strict laws prohibiting all the things that the Islamic states like Saudi Arabia and Iran right. and all the other countries that are Islamic. Well, here's the thing. I, I think what happens is this. We've had many members of Congress, uh, or at least you know several uh, that I, I've seen over the years, that um, are Muslims and don't necessarily uh, hate America. And I think the reason being is that when you have members of Congress or any other elected official that is um, of a particular faith or whatever, it doesn't mean that they're uh, a national of this country that they may have ties to. Maybe they were born in this country. Maybe they're an immigrant. Uh, But I don't think that they're in the, you know, up until Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib, these were the ones that that, uh, recently stepped up and said, you know, uh, no, we don't like that. We're going to support you know, the, the, those that aren't the allies of America. 
So I think it's a relatively new trend. Uh, but typically, Americans, irrespective of your religion, don't embrace the laws of Saudi Arabia, right? I mean, that's just that's just how it's always been. Even Rahm Emanuel, and I'm not one to promote Rahm Emanuel, uh, but as White House chief of staff or as governor of Chicago, never once talked about implementing Sharia law or anything like that. You know, so I, I just I can't see that that being um, a distinction that is something we should really pay close attention to. I mean, I think we should be vigilant of these things and call them out when we see them, like we're doing with Ilhan, Omar, etc. So we'll uh, continue to keep an eye on that. I appreciate your thoughts. Um, You've gotten my pushback on it. But there is more to come straight ahead. We're going to continue with your phone calls and more. It's open phones across America here on America at Night. Thanks, Frank. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Voted best head of hair in live late night radio six years in a row. It's Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. It's me, Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S. And uh, again, my question to you all is, um, A, has have you ever had any identity fraud uh, perpetuated upon you or perpetrated, I should say? And B... Uh, was it by a dominatrix? <laughs> because I just think that story was so bizarre. Uh, but that was the story of this dominatrix uh, who uh, poisoned her pal who looked like her and then left all the DNA evidence behind. I mean, I'm just I'm still uh, kind of out there on that one. Anyway, I want to continue with your calls. Uh, let us go to Gil in Manila, Philippines. Gil, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Yes, Rich. Um, I want to uh, congratulate you on your you format and uh, your your particular branding of the of the show, and oh, I have thank a you. suggestion. You know, yeah, I've I've been a WABC guy going all the way back into the '60s when I lived in Connecticut, and uh, as a teenager, I'd uh, at night would listen to Cousin Brucey play all the uh, top forty songs, and of course, yeah. Cousin Brucey's still around. But yeah. Yeah, funny story. I'll I'll share this with you. You know, he had gone into satellite radio for a while and came back into um, terrestrial radio uh, maybe in 2020 or maybe early 2021. And either way, his first night on the air from the studios in New York City, I was uh, doing my show from five to six and he started at six o'clock. And so I was there, and uh, it was so cool to be, like, the opening act for Cousin Brucey. What an absolute legend. What a phenomenal human being, and uh, really just an amazing broadcaster. Go right ahead, Gil. Well, he's from Brooklyn also. I'm sure you know that. Yeah, no, he's he's from Brooklyn. He's he's like radio itself. I mean, he's just uh, – it's fantastic. I mean, I, I've, I count myself as so fortunate to be to be my age – and have had met and and had the tutelage of so many radio greats and titans in this business. Uh, it really is a blessing to me. Okay. Well, I have a, a suggestion for you. Yes. Uh, you have a strong connection with uh, WABC. Uh, do you ever mm-hmm. listen to the, uh, the the TV news, the world news now, overnight? I, I can't say that I have because that, that's after I'm... Uh, after I'm off. 
Yeah, well, it's TV news that people watch. I mean, it's for insomniacs like me. Well, <laughs> their theme song is written by another guy from Brooklyn by the name of, of uh, Barry Mitchell, and it's called huh. The World News Polka. And he wrote it on spec for them, and they picked it up, and they've been playing it for 30 years. And uh, I'm, Barry's still still working, as I look on the Internet, and uh, I, maybe he could come up with something very, very specific for you that would more put your brand on on the show. Make it, That's an make excellent it idea. To you. I will let the uh, the folks in charge of our programming and all of that stuff know because uh, I think it's, uh, it's I'm, I'm I'm definitely open to it and uh, thank you for that. By the way, Gil, I wanted to ask you um, because you're on the other side of the world and I love your opinions on these things. Here in New York, uh, or at least in the New York Post, this story about this dominatrix, um, dominatrix Victoria Nasarova, uh, who tried to kill her friend with poison cheesecake, is this a regular occurrence in the Philippines? No, uh, they don't have much cheesecake here. Um, but, uh, and uh, my my wife often warns me that she has three sisters who are married to police officers, so she has easy access to firearms. So if I think about anything like that, I'm in big trouble. So uh, I don't, um, you know, that's as they say, I ain't into that. <laughs> I don't play on that team, okay? I don't play on that team. But, uh, no, nothing like that happens. Everything here is... problem with the United States is you got too much money, you got too much spare time, and it's just easy to get into all of this crazy stuff. And people here are too busy making a living and supporting their families to to get involved with uh, with something like that. There are a few, but... Uh, yeah, no, I get it. And, and I said it really tongue-in-cheek, because I realize this is probably not happening in any other place on a regular basis. You know, it's a kind of really bizarre story. But I did want to get your take on something we talked about earlier, um, which was the um, this case of Tyree... Uh, the young man that was killed, I'm drawing a blank on his last name, Nichols, excuse me. Um, well, what's your reaction to that? Because that's some horrifying footage, Gil. Well, the problem is this. Since uh, the uh, Black Lives Matter uh, has come to light and all of these other groups that are against the police and want to defund the police and giving the police a negative image, fewer qualified people want to become policemen. So they've dumbed down the qualifications to take in people that should never wear a badge or carry a firearm in the first place. And this is the result. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Well, Gil, I want to thank you for um, giving um, some words of praise to, to the new theme music here. We haven't really changed the format. We're keeping open phones. We're keeping the interview format that both Larry King had and Jim Bohannon had. And uh, I, I plan to uh, respect that format and keep it. They just kind of changed the imaging of the show and some some of the music and uh, whatnot. And um, and I miss the music as much as the next guy. I love the uh, the old music, but you know that's just how it goes. Sometimes you do as you're told here in radio, right, Gil? Bye bye. Okay, <laughs> very good. That was Gil saying bye bye. 
Well, thank you, Gil. I do appreciate it. And uh, straight ahead, we're going to continue with your calls. I see we have calls from the East Coast tonight. Nobody on the West Coast. What's up? Is everybody watching a sports uh, type of thing? What's going on here? Anyway, we've got calls from uh, North Carolina and New York City, and I'm looking forward to speaking with everybody else that is um, jumping in to Open Phone America tonight, irrespective of whoever is playing whatever. <laughs> anyway, 833-4-VALDEZ is the number. 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. And um, wait till you hear this next story. This one is going to get you. They're stealing monkeys all over the place. And I got one on a burglar. You don't want to miss this. Stay tuned. Call now, 833-4-VALDES. That's 833-482-4237. 833 833- for Valdez. That's Valdez with an S. These officers engaged in this criminal behavior because they felt they could get away with it. They were wearing body-worn cameras. They knew or should have known that there were pole cameras up uh, throughout the city. So there was a, a high probability that if they were going to get involved in some nefarious activity, it was going to be caught on videotape. But they didn't mm-hmm. care. All right, folks, that is former Detroit police chief James Craig. Uh, He was also deputy mayor in the city of Detroit, and he was a guest on this program uh, in the 11 o'clock hour earlier today. And uh, just brilliant analysis and really shed light on things saying, look, this looks like an institutional problem, uh, a a cultural problem. And if you missed any part of that interview, you've got to check out the podcast for America at Night, right? Rich Valdez, America at Night. Find that wherever you get podcasts. I think it's available wherever you get podcasts. I know for sure it's on Apple Podcasts. Not sure if it's uh, uploading on Spotify. I have to double check that, Uh, but uh, it should be. And uh, I think it's worth your while to listen to that interview. This guy's an expert, and he calls them like he sees them. By the way, there's also my own podcast, right, the one that's not for this show, the stuff that doesn't make it on the show, things that are a little too risque sometimes, like my analysis on the Pope and what he had to say recently. All of that stuff is on This Is America and uh, Top 200 podcasts. Actually, just made the Top 200, you know where? Columbia. I mean, it's amazing how we start to get listeners from all over the place. So if you get a chance, please check out, click subscribe, uh, follow, whatever it is you got to do. But uh, so you can get the notifications when new podcasts are available. You can listen to those in case you're not catching the show live on your local affiliate, which is always the best way to do it. Because then you get to call in on Open Phone America, my favorite part of the show, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDES with an S. Now, I want to talk about this uh, headline real, real quick. This is on WGN9. Suburban school worker charged with stealing $1.5 million of, guess what? Chicken wings from this school district. Yep, you got that right. Uh, this is happening at Harvey, Illinois, outside of Chicago. The food service director for an impoverished south suburban school district is accused of stealing $1.5 million worth of food. Now, you would think at a million five, He was probably stealing eggs, but nope, you're wrong. Mainly chicken wings, according to the court documents that were reviewed by WGN uh, Investigates. 
uh, Vera Little, or Liddell, depending on where the accent is, 66 years old, worked for Harvey School District 152 uh, for more than a decade, according to her LinkedIn account. The massive fraud began at the height of COVID during a time where students weren't allowed to be physically present in the school. And this is according to the proffer that was presented at Liddell's bond hearing. Even though the children were learning remotely, the school district continued to provide meals for the students that their families could pick up. Court records accused Liddell of ordering more than 11,000 cases of chicken wings from the school district's food provider, then picking up the order in a district cargo van. The food was never brought back to the school or provided to the students. District funds were used to pay for the food, according to the prosecutors, who did not reveal what became of the chicken wings. So I want to know, was there a, a stolen chicken wing ring going on here? And if there was, how did they do it? Do you do it on eBay, like frozen, like, yo, yo, I got cases of whatever. Do you do it like out of the trunk of your car? You pull up to the warmer, like, hey, you, you guys buying chicken wings? Check this out before you go in. I got the hot deal, but it's actually frozen. I, I don't know. I'd love to get your reaction to that. 8334-VALDES, 8334-VALDES. Let us go to our buddy James, New York City, WFAS. James, you're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Uh, maybe the chicken wings decided to take a flight somewhere. <laughs> that was pretty good. It's all about timing and radio. You've got a promising future, James. What's on your mind tonight, sir? Well, apropos to the... Um to the uh, George Floyd and the uh, Kyrie Nichols incident. In sociology, the study of aberrant behavior in human beings, the good, the bad, and even the ugly, these, these police officers, by their initial actions, the first 20 minutes of their encounter with this person, even the first 10 minutes, violated five of the societal norms out of 10. They, they, they're running a very bad score against themselves. These, these individuals, especially the group that was involved in the Kyrie Nichols incident, these five African-American officers basically were, were of a, a very, what they call a miasmic simpatico. In other words, they all saw the same end result, and they knew how to get to that end result, according to perhaps a, a leader in the group, someone who they looked up to, probably a commander or a sergeant or what have you. And they just abandoned every societal norm that you could imagine. And it just led to a death of an innocent young man. who was, I believe he was a father family. I'm not certain about that. But yeah. nonetheless. The, the whole uh, thing these, is very unfortunate. Yeah. These, 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 these five officers should face the death penalty because they, their actions are very reminiscent. I don't know if you ever read a book called Lord of the Flies. Mm -hmm. That book is very, very simply uh, uh, a novel about these children who were young children who were abandoned. Uh, there was some misfortune of a, of a uh, shipwreck, and they yeah. formed their own brutal, criminal, barbaric society based upon dominance, physical dominance, and even the murder of their, their other group members. Yeah, and, and I remember this, they put the, uh, the pig's head on the uh, on the top of one of their spears. That was a uh, was it was a really interesting. Uh, story. And I think you're right. Listen, people here, um, you know, you position it as sociology and societal norms. I'll position it through the lens of, of, I think, just moral decency and saying, you know what, this is wrong. Everything they did was wrong, just morally wrong. If it's a matter of faith, if it's a matter of just agnostic, um, agnostic caring for humankind, 
it was wrong, right? There's just no, there's no way to kind of justify this. And I'm glad we're not hearing a, an ending, um, you know, um, line of people defending saying, oh, he shouldn't have done this and he shouldn't have done that. And if, you know, I, I'm really tired. I've never liked this line of, of argument because while I, I agree, you shouldn't argue with the police and you should, you know, have a civil uh, discourse. Um, you also have rights. And to, to just abandon your rights for the sake of, of proper etiquette to say, oh, yeah, we'll figure it out in court. But in the meantime, you can slam me around, waste my time, pull me over for absolutely no reason, you know, or whatever the case is. And I'm talking about me, myself, not necessarily anybody else. Um, but as it relates to this story, very, 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 you know, tough. The whole thing was just tough to watch, tough on on, on the emotions, tough on, on the stomach, even when it gets so intense. Um, so yeah, I agree with you. They're violating societal norms and I think they're just wrong altogether. Um, that's my take on that. James, I appreciate it. Now, um, with respect to the story I was just mentioning on chicken wings, I just want to go back to that because, um, this woman got caught because the invoices that were signed for by Miss Liddell, uh, for these massive amounts of chicken wings, um, were were never served to students because they contained bones. And court records say employees of the district's food provider, Gordon Food Service, they were all familiar with this defendant, Ms. Liddell, because of the massive amount of chicken wings that she'd buy. So the case was investigated by the Cook County State Attorney's Office, and this woman was charged with theft. She's now in custody in jail with a $150,000 bond. And, and I just think to myself, do you think this is a crime of of just mere opportunity, but the lady has been there for a year. So, you know, do you think she thought, oh, it's COVID. I'm not going to get caught stealing massive amounts of chicken. I mean, $1.5 million worth of chicken wings. Now the question, I guess the other follow-up question becomes, do we inflate the cost of chicken when we're selling it to school districts since they're spending tax dollars and it's not their own money anyway? I don't know. Maybe that'd be a, a, a nice thing to look at. Anyway, your your thoughts and your calls and everything else straight ahead. 866-505-4626 is our legacy number. And 833-482-5337 is the new number. They end up in the same place and you're welcome to use them. Don't go anywhere. I am Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. He's brown, he's bald, and he's breaking it down. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. So uh, we've got, a, in the same vein as what we were talking about, uh, we've got a fully clothed burglar, right? So we were talking about crime. I just want to go to the other side of the country here. This is in Seattle, Washington. Fully clothed burglar found where? Yes, you guessed it, in the bathtub. A man suspected of breaking into a Seattle home has refused to come clean about his intentions, even though police found him fully clothed in a bathtub filled with water. A woman returned to her home Friday night to find a window smashed and an unknown man inside the house, according to the police department. She remained outside the home and called police. Upon their arrival, officers instructed anyone to come outside. When they got no reply, they went in to search the home and found the suspect in the bathroom. 
The man was clothed but very wet, and the bathtub was full of water, said the police in their statement. The 27-year-old man was arrested for residential burglary and refused to explain his actions, including his choice of why he chose to bathe in her home. Unbelievable. So this is my question here. <clears throat> wow. A, if you need a shower so bad, do you do you break into someone's house to do it? And if you break in and you got the bath going, do you leave your dirty clothes on and take the bath with the dirty clothes? Like, what do you plan to do when you're leaving? Just sop around? You know, like that slushy sound coming out of your shoes? I, I mean, this guy clearly is a head case, mental issue. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm just, I'm at a loss here. Let's see what Matt in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina on WTKF says. Hey, Matt, you're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome, sir. Hello, Rich. Happy New Year. And um, I'm not in Raleigh, but uh, Tom said I need the nearest big city. I'm, uh, there you go. Sounds good to east, me. What's on your mind? That nah, doesn't matter. Nobody in America wants to know where you live. We want to know what you think about the news. I'm trying to hurry up about this. This morning, Elizabeth Warren was talking about all Biden's accomplishments. I'll name, a, I'll name a few and let you take over, sir. Yeah. Okay, canceling the Keystone XL pipeline on day one. Leaving 80-plus billion dollars of our military equipment in Afghanistan. Opening the southern border. Now you take over. Sure. Well, listen, before I take over, let me just say those are those are really good ones. And we're still talking about them. Right. We spent uh, almost an hour discussing what was going on at the southern border with Mark Morgan earlier. And it's clearly getting worse. Uh, it's not not good in the least. But that's where we are now. Another thing that I find is um, not helping, not helpful in the least, is the the situation where the president seems to just be doing nothing. Uh, with respect to to this stuff. Now, again, I can respect the fact that the president will do nothing, but he's the first one to get in saying, oh, we need peaceful protests. Okay, you want to support the peaceful protests, that's great. But then you don't want to say anything else about anything. I think he's been mum on everything. He's been mum on just about anything with respect to classified documents. So, I mean, you, you name it, there's a number of scandals that we can pin on Biden. But my question to you in, in close to Raleigh, North Carolina, uh, Matt, is... What do you think about this guy who breaks into this lady's home and is sopping wet, sitting in a filled bathtub when the cops get there? Why do you think he was yes, there? Rich, that was, yes, Rich, that was very strange. I just heard it on your show while I was on hold. And yeah. um, that's bizarro. I mean, if somebody tried to do that to me, it wouldn't be, it would turn out good for them. Right. <laughs> right. And, you know, it, it's 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 always um, it, it's always just bizarre when you see those types of stories, uh, in my opinion. But thank you, Matt. I appreciate your call. We'll continue those discussions. We have a couple of clips coming up that I want to play for you that um, I'll, I'll react to and um, kind of give you a little bit more of the answer that you were looking for on Biden's lack of accomplishments. Don't go anywhere. We are still going straight until the top of the hour. It's Rich Valdez, America at Night. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
is America. This is Night. This is Rich Valdez. Show me your budget, I'll show you mine. <laughs> that's that's President Joe Biden telling Speaker McCarthy, show me your budget, I'll show you mine. All right. Come on, man. I got hairy legs. Now, Joe Biden, of course, Joe El Baboso Biden, as I like to call him, he uh, is set to have a showdown with Speaker McCarthy on uh, Wednesday. So we'll bring you everything that we can on that uh, with um, respect to how that showdown goes. But I want to... Um, before we wrap up, I want to make sure I get to everybody. Let's go to the Midwest, Butte, Montana. Let's check in with Phil on KXTL. Welcome, Phil. Hi, Rich. How are you? I am wonderful, sir. Thank you. What's going on? Okay, I'll make it quick. Uh, your last caller uh, was commenting on the XL pipeline, which yeah. reminded me of Mr. Biden's war on energy and gasoline <laughs> yeah. and whatnot, correct? Yes, okay. sir. My comment is, as soon as he sells his Corvette, I'll buy an electric car. <laughs> I love End it. End of story. <laughs> That's terrific. It reminds me of the time that somebody went to uh, the rapper and actor Ice-T. I think he was doing an interview in Australia, some Australian TV channel. And uh, they, they were taking this anti-gun position. Uh, and they were like, well, you know, you know, don't you think America should have less guns and blah, blah, blah? And he said, I'll give up my gun when the government gives up theirs. <laughs> and I said, that was brilliant. Because in effect, that's what we have them for. And I think you're right. We can all go out and buy a Tesla uh, if, uh, you know, Biden agrees to get rid of his Corvette. I think that's a fair deal, Phil. If I see him and I can get him on this show, I'm going to tell him that Phil in Butte, Montana said, dump the vet and get the Tesla. What do you think? There you go. Thank you very <laughs> much. Have a good night. You're welcome, brother. And, uh, you know, that reminds me of a story where there's a Tesla that just blew up and uh, just like spontaneously combusted, which uh, I don't have the full text of the story, but I will share that on social media at Rich Valdez with an S. But for the sake of time, I want to go to this clip of Whoopi Goldberg, uh, because Whoopi Goldberg had a lot to say on The View today. And I want you to hear this. Now, you know, I asked this question way too many times at this table, but, you know, when will the brutality finally lead to some police reform from the ground up? Because clearly, it doesn't matter if it's a white policeman or a black policeman. It is a problem in the police and the policing yeah. itself. You know, seems things don't seem to make sense to people unless it's somebody they can feel or they can recognize. Mm -hmm. But how many times do we have to, do we need to see white people also get beaten before anybody will do anything? I'm not suggesting that. So don't write us and tell me what a, you know, what a racist I am. I'm just asking, is that, is that what people have to see in order to wake up and realize this affects us all? Whoopi Goldberg, what a racist you are. Oh, wait, she said not to say that. Look, let me, uh, address this quickly. And I think we've heard this stuff before, but ultimately we have laws that say you can't beat people up. We have laws that say you can't kill people. We have laws that make all of these things ridiculous. How on earth could Whoopi Goldberg's with a straight face say meaningful reform? What reform are you going to propose to end the police, to, to no longer have police departments or to, to have them take off their uniform shirts and maybe just put on polos and no longer carry guns, which is part of what they started talking about in New York City and uh, bringing in what they called violence interrupters. 
as if that was going to stop the 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 bedlam that that occurs on a daily basis in New York City. And again, this is just from what I've observed. It, it just never ceases to amaze me how Whoopi or anybody else just doesn't stop to think and say, you know what, how about just enforcing the laws we have? How about realizing that we there's always going to be a problem with morality, right? There's always going to be people that choose to do the wrong thing. It, part of our goal in life should be to help the most people that we can to do the right thing to train our children and our friends and our neighbors and whatever whoever we have influence on to do what's right. But not to sit here and keep asking for endless laws and to give more power to a government that doesn't have control over one's heart and mind and should never have that control anyway. Anyway, until the next time, hasta la próxima. You take care, have a good night, and God bless. This is America at Night with me, Rich Valdez, and we're doing it again tomorrow. See you then. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.